So let's say you want to get to a certain level of performance, right? You want to have a certain level of miles that you can drive and ODDs that you can drive and so forth that you uh, that you want to you want to hit and you want to deliver. The question you'd be asking is like, not can I get there with maybe uh, camera and radar? I think what times they often they ask is like, how quickly can I get there and prove my prove to myself that I can? Everybody that's in this space right now will agree that you want. Will agree that you want some sort of sensor diversity, right? You don't. No one's going to go at this with like a single sensor um, right now. No. Least, <laughs> well, I, I, I. There's one exception to that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And unfortunately, Alex Roy is not able to be with us today. He's on a classically Alex Roy <laughs> special operation, <laughs> special, uh, not particularly high speed, but cross country mission. Um, hopefully when he gets back, he'll be able to tell us all about it. But um, it means he's not able to be here with us today for a conversation that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Um because it's been a while since we've actually spoken to someone who is sort of working at the sensor level in the driving automation space. And um, our guest today is uh, Dr. Matt Markle. He's the CEO of Spartan Radar, which is a really exciting company in the space, recently uh, raised a, a, a fundraising round. And um, first of all, Dr. Markle, Matt, welcome uh, to the Atonicast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Big fan of the show. Let's just start off. For, for those who haven't, so Spartan Radar is, is not one of the biggest, best known names in the, in the automotive radar space, kind of a newer company. Why don't you tell folks sort of where you're based, where, where you're coming from and, and sort of how you're positioned generally in, in, this, in this space? Fantastic. So Spartan Radar was founded about three years ago by a gentleman named Nathan Mintz and then some other folks that worked with him. Nathan was the guy who founded Eperus. It was a defense directed energy firm, actually pivoted away from that and wanted to do something in the, in the automotive space. We're in Los Alamitos, California, which is in Orange County, basically about you know 25 minutes or so from John Wayne Airport. And yeah, our company is designed to do radar technology. We're a bunch of radar people doing radar technology. And the, what we really like to say is like we make better radars and make radars better. And that kind of pivots into kind of the two different ways we approach our, our business. The, the better radars is we make radars for commercial vehicles to allow them to avoid hitting things. If you've ever looked at the the back of things like the uh, construction uh, vehicles and so forth, you see all those bumps and scrapes and stuff along the sides. Well, that's because there's a big piece of metal that hits something that it probably didn't want to hit. So we make radars that, have, that, uh, that help take a big bite out of that and make them more safe. In addition, we make software that can go on other folks' radars, primarily for automotive, that allows the the radar to basically have a really, really enhanced clarity on the scene, be able to see things much clearer, be able to resolve things much, much better. And that's software that will go in other folks' radar. So have you always, um, has the company always focused on automotive or as many sensor companies have had beginnings elsewhere and then as more interest and more money went into, you know, ADAS technology, they, you know, decided to start applying it to automotive? Great question. I think it was actually the other way around. It initially looked at the ability to take some of the insights and expertise in radar signal processing that the founders of the company and some of the early uh, folks that joined the company had experienced during their time in defense and say, we can bring this 
to the automotive industry. And in doing so, they said, well, we'll, we'll bring these, these technologies to that. And then as they started doing that, they realized that they're, they wanted to diversify a little bit because you, as we've all seen with different radar companies in the space today, everybody has a, a, a predominant technology that they want to offer. And we, they wanted to diversify a little bit away from that and have something else as, because that might take longer to develop or longer to, to get the traction that they really wanted. So they started saying, well, we can use our skills in radar and skills in, uh, in system architecture, et cetera, and apply that to the commercial vehicle space. So really it started out as being 100% automotive and then started to, as time went on, say like, there's really an underserved market here in the commercial vehicles, whether that's, you know, uh, construction, agriculture, mining, forestry, et cetera. And because we're a startup and we can move very, very fast and we can, we can do things with a handful of people that might take someone else quite a, a, a large number, we can serve these markets and still be, uh, still be able to make good margins on that. Um, so does that mean, uh, give me a sense of how crowded the, the, the radar competitive landscape is right now, because there was a time, at least in LIDAR, it's like all I heard was LIDAR, 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 also radar, 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 except for maybe one company, um, which went the other direction and got rid, got rid of radar. But it became <laughs> like, my inbox was full of pitches, particularly with LIDAR, but also radar and other sensor, like other camera sensor startups. And then it's been kind of quiet lately. Um, and I don't know if that's reflective of the, you know, uncertain economic conditions and difficulty fundraising or uh, more consolidation. But from where you sit, how competitive is it? And have you seen a lot of companies sort of fall either shutter completely or get gobbled up by a larger company in the last, like, let's say 18 months or so. I think you're seeing some contraction in the market, but more importantly is I think more um, applicable actually is you're just not seeing a lot of talk on the sensor technologies in general. You're right there for a while. There's like, you can't, you know, you can't open a, uh, an email without seeing something pushing lighter or a new lighter company here, or a new lighter company here, or a new radar company here. And you're right, there's been some contraction, but I think in general, that's the, the whole market. So, so why would that, uh, why do we need all these things? It was L4 pushing that, you know, from the Waymos and the crew where I came from and the cruises and so forth. So they were driving a lot of the interest in this. And a lot of the, a lot of the radar startups are focused on, yeah, we want to hit this L4 market. Is that because the uh, historical, 8S type sensors and radar just weren't adequate for it. That's why when I was at Waymo, we used to, I used to every day tell my team, like, look, every day is make buy, you know, but we are making these because we, there's nothing out there that we can buy that's adequate. Then when you start seeing the L4 market, you know, take a little bit of a, of a slowdown, it's a, you know, maybe a little bit of a slowdown, maybe a little bit more than a little bit, but it's take a little bit of a slowdown. Then you start seeing that, that reflective in the news that's being made on the sensor companies as well. So, so just to kind of help people understand where you're fitting in this landscape, right? So you have this the, the L4 space where you know the 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 needs are for maybe not necessarily super high volumes, but really high performance radar, right? Uh, and, and then and then sort of the other spectrum is uh, where you have sort of the the Bosch and the Contis, right? Which is the really mass scale sort of adaptive cruise control, mostly focused, really commodity radar for for sort of mass market cars, which these days is almost every class of a uh, price point of car has some, some form of radar in it. Um, we're sort of right. moving in that direction. 
So, so that's a big spectrum, right? Of of huge volumes and low cost points, but but and then and then lower volumes and, and really high price points. You mentioned commercial vehicles as well, so that's another sort of wrinkle here. Help help us understand sort of where you are in that. It doesn't sound like what you're doing is is for for L four specifically. It sounds like it's more on the ADAS side, but but help us help us make sense of where that positioning is. Right. So one of the things we wanted to do at Spartan was not pigeonhole ourselves into one autonomy level. So the technology that we have works across from everything from L2 up through L4. Every radar can benefit from the, the software and, the, and the, uh, the capabilities that we provide. And that's great because I think, you know, I'm a big L4 fan. I think several are, uh, are uh, as well on, this, uh, on the, the listeners to, the, to your podcast here. But it's going to take quite a while for that to roll out. So we didn't want to be beholden to that in terms of uh, the, the financial uh, future of the company. So we said, well, let's make technology that can work for L2 or L3 or L4. And so that's what we've really done is the, the capability that we have to take a – the way to kind of think about it is in – even in most applications of L4 – Looking forward, you're going to need long-range capability with your with your sensing modalities, right? That's where you're, that's the direction you're moving the most rapidly in. So you need to see the farthest there, but you want to have the 360 vision around, and you want to have that with the with the benefits that radar brings. And you may not be able to afford, or choose not to afford, or choose not to pay the penalties in weather of having like lasers all around the vehicle. So so you can put maybe lower capability from a how far they can see radars around the vehicle, but you still want that clarity. So, but you can't afford to put a full imaging radar there on everywhere around the vehicle because it's just you just won't be able to hit the price points, especially for something that you would want to then sell to a to a consumer. So, what you have to have is you have to have the clarity, but you don't necessarily need the long range, and that's where our software comes in. We can take a corner radar and give it the basically the imaging capability of a of the long range radar that you would expect to see in the front. So we make, basically make radars. You know, three to eight times. Those are the numbers that we've that we've um, we've actually had several uh, folks do blind taste tests with our software, and the numbers we come back are like between three and eight times better. Um, and and so what what's enabled that um, that that performance increase? Um, I mean, you mentioned it's a it's a software product, but I mean, one of the bottlenecks for radar is just is processing power. I assume that's one of the the pieces of all this that's allowing these advances. Right. It does take more processing power, but one of the things that we've really, really worked on is to make that as lightweight as possible. So when you think about algorithms in this space and how we can really take a capability, it's one thing to have it where it's, okay, I found some algorithm on a triple E journal, or I, I coded something up in MATLAB and said, look, I can get all these great and wonderful capabilities. We decompose the algorithm to the very essence of things and figure out how can we map that to, does this need to be real processing? Is this complex? And really map it to the particular processor that we're, that we're operating on so we can get it to run extremely, extremely fast. So we try to, we're, we're very respective of the fact that the, you know, the computational burden can't just go up without bound. We don't have the, the space or the thermal or the wattage to support that. So we really work to make these very lightweight. In addition, we have capabilities that run as like a hypervisor layer that say only apply our algorithms in the situations where it's absolutely critical to. And that's something that our users can define. They might say that, okay, in this mode, I'm going to apply it to just very long range things. That's where I want to put, provide that extra clarity. Or it might be like, I want to provide this 
put this only for VRUs, uh, vulnerable road users. So that's we provide an extra layer on top as well that allows us to really, really fine tune that for just again to be very mindful of the compute burden. And and that's sorry, and just it, that's something you can put on on a you can apply to a, a sort of wide variety of, of of radars that are out there. Is there is there are there constraints on on what you can apply that to, or is it anything from the the most basic to to the most complex? I guess on the most complex, you you wouldn't need it, right? Or yeah. You may, because you, you in many situations you still want something more, but the because you're always anybody who's ever designed a radar, there's you you never get as much hardware as you want, right? Mm-hmm. That's just the just the way of the of the world on that. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's a there's a few requirements in terms of like access to data, and in terms of how the systems architected. But in general, we found those to be very very easy to work with. We've worked with a variety of different folks, um, you know, tier ones, tier twos. Um, we even have a, a demonstration coming up with a, a major Detroit OEM here in a couple of weeks. Uh, we were they did a competition to look at the technologies as they look towards the future for what they want to bring in, and we um, we were selected to, to one of the be the ones to demonstrate. But yeah, just a couple of interface changes on the radar, or interface requirements on the radar, and then and then we can implement our, our software in it. You mentioned that um, essentially depending on what the automaker wants to use it for, it can be changed and applied in different ways. Like as you mentioned, uh, you know, long range, things like that. So right now in the marketplace, what's the most interest and demand for like this specific application for your, not just hardware, but the software, how are people using it? So we see that as OEMs, want increased resolution. They want increased clarity in the scene. And that's just to support everything that they think they might want to do. And that, that, they get, that can then pass to the tier ones and then tier twos as well. Tier twos are the, the chip makers. We're working with a with one right now that has a you know, very large market segment to basically be able to put our algorithms directly in that chip that when they sell it, it has our, may have our other algorithms just easily available right in there um, or as a, as a licensing opportunity for that as well. But we see we see increased clarity in the scene. That's what that's what everybody that's what everybody wants. Okay, so uh, dumb question of the pod. I get like at least two or three. Uh, what what is driving that? I mean, great, great, better resolution. But what's the reason for it? Is it because there is a greater push to higher capability ADAS systems, or which is what I would assume, or is there some other reason? I think that the it will make better ADAS systems for today. But I think as we look towards the future, when we see more and more electrification of vehicles that allows people to open up the architecture and think about what does the, the system of the future need to be, it, I think they're basically laying the groundwork for what they want the, their capabilities to be you know, several years down the road as well. And they're, and they're, they're putting the, in, the initial specs, specifications to the best they know them today to support that. So it's a... Whether it's increased, we say this increased ADAS functions or the capability to have some amount of maybe freeway autonomy, maybe have the capability of support freeway autonomy, but not all the connector roads and surface streets or dense urban environments yet. I think that's what's that's what's pushing them to to continually upgrade the sensing uh, the sensing suite and, and, and hold a high bar on that. And and 
do, do you get the sense? Because, I mean, yeah, clearly, you know, sort of building out more of sort of level three or, or maybe some even level four into consumer cars seems to be where, you know, certainly the OEMs want to take this technology. Obviously, level four companies kind of have a different different strategy. Do you do you see, and, and you know, you sort of addressed this a little bit earlier talking about sort of the, the difference between, you know, needing that long range forward vision and, and some of the other kinds of vision tasks that the different sensor modalities can be good at. How do you see and, and you know, I hate to, to be as reductive about this that that you know the the radar versus lidar thing, but but you know how do you do you see yourselves as as being you know competing with lidar, complementary lidar? I'm sure it's a combination of of the two, but specifically in terms of these next generation sort of freeway uh, you know autonomy systems, uh, uh, you know how, how do you see what you're selling in relation to to, to lidar? So, okay, for the radar versus lidar, I'm going to do two things or three things actually. I want to tell you why I love that question, and then I'm going to answer that, the question. So when people when people say I love that question, I just know that they actually <laughs> really hate that question. So go on, please. Well, actually, so, so I'm, 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 I'm being honest with you all. I, I actually love that question. Why I love it, and then I'm going to answer it. I'm going to tell you why we shouldn't necessarily ask that. Okay. Okay. So there you so go. All, Here. So so why I love it is because it's awesome. It gets it, it gets people to talk about technologies and, and bring their, their most passionate uh, descriptions of it. And everybody learns something in the end because you have bright people talking about it. Everybody learns something in the end and no one gets their feelings hurt. It's not like religion or politics or something like that. So we can have the radar versus LIDAR thing. And at the end of the day, no one like, you know, no one gets their nose bent out of, uh, you know, out of joint on it. And everybody has a good time with it. I, so that's I, why I'm I like not sure if nobody, I feel like I've encountered a few people who are pretty worked up about it, but, but it is, I agree completely. It's a fascinating debate. Are you talking debate. about yourself? No, no, actually I'm, <laughs> I'm not. It's actually, I feel it's the, it's the anti, lidar people that seem to get have be the most emotionally invested in it but 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 you're right it, it, it we certainly on this show try to make it as educational a debate as possible continue your answer so anyway so the uh, so for for resolution laser definitely has it right it's three thousand times the frequency and you know the the radar community that people like you know like me that we hang out at the radar club you know we there's a lot of sort of standard answers that we use for this we talk about well radars cheaper it's it's quite a bit more affordable it can see farther um it's easier to install and maintain the one of the cool things is you get instantaneous measurements of velocity uh through the doppler effect that you don't get with laser um, that velocity measure by the way is the most accurate that you'll measure with with radar it's it's that's it, of all the things that radar measures that velocity is the, is the most accurate um, and then weather and fog and, you know, those, those typically radar does, does well at, uh, and, and laser suffers. Laser also suffers in the dust as well. And we see that in, uh, when the commercial applications where, you know, the like agriculture construction, it's the dust and dirt that get kicked up that really, you know, does a number on the lasers. Um, but there's some other things that radar does as well. Radar has the ability to kind of see, I want to say through, but it's not technically through. It's like see under the cars in front of you to the ones in front of that. So whereas like you're a laser or even an optical sensor like camera might be completely blocked. Yeah. Radar will tunnel under that and see vehicles, you know, two, three, four, et cetera, in front of it. Um, and then the other thing is, I think in terms of like system architecture is, with a laser, you basically get the capability that you you get the maximum capability like the first day you have it. 
you know, because you've spent all that money on the hardware. Whereas with radar, so much of that, at least as we see radars being developed today, like what we're doing and the folks at the L4 companies and so forth are doing, they're very software defined. So not just like software defined in terms of like, hey, I got a new ML algorithm for classification, but really software defined in terms of how the, uh, the radar is processing the data to basically give it a different, you know, I'm going to use a very, very fine resolution mode and range perhaps, or I'm going to use something that suppresses uh, side ups and gives a really pure response off of something. And you can do that with software or, or putting in our software algorithms as well. There's so much that you can do on the software defined aspect of it that, uh, that really opens up a lot of, a lot of architectural trades for the system designer that you kind of don't get because you bake that in with a, either a camera or, um, or a laser. And I think that that's the, uh, that's, those are the reasons why that, you know, typically we like radars a lot. The reason we, people don't like radars is that they, they don't, they, the data don't look as pretty as what you get off of a camera, off of a laser. But I think that's actually just confirmation bias in humans, mm. you know, because, because it doesn't look as good as what we're used to seeing. We think that, well, then it definitely must not be as good for some, uh, deep net, you know, that's just going to be processing the data anyway. And really that's, that's not true at all. It's like People saying, like to, it's like saying, you know, we're not here talking C plus plus, so it must not be a good way to communicate. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like right. what's machine readable and what's human readable are, or digestible are, are, are different things. Right. Absolutely. And, and just look to nature. The, the, the dragonflies have like the most, um, uh, accurate vision of anything in the, you know, in the, uh, anything in nature, basically. But they have compound eyes. Their data don't look anything like what we would be used to seeing. Um, so if you look at, like, you know, dragonfly data or honeybees, honeybees have, like, a like a four, uh, the four or five times faster reaction time than humans do to things because of, their, because of the ways they see things with compound eyes. But if we looked at their data, they wouldn't be – it wouldn't look at all like what we would say. So we'd be like, ah, oh, that must not be very good because it doesn't look like what we see. So there's this confirmation bias there as well. So that's kind of like the why we think radars are, are really you know add a lot to the add a lot to the mix. The the reason why I think that it's a fun question, but maybe it's not the what the most telling is is you have to really okay. I'll tell a little story for a second. You can make chili with beans, right? And it can be pretty good, right? Um, in Texas, you can't put beans in chili. I found this out. I just moved to Texas a couple of years ago. And it's actually, I think it's a capital offense if you put beans in chili in Texas. But you can make good chili with or without it. So it's not the fact that there's beans in there or not, or lasers in there or not. It's how you architect the chili or the system that makes the big deal. And are you dealing with all the things about how are you testing in the tails of the distribution? How are you dealing with the fact that you can't, so we drive 3 trillion miles every year in the United States, right? The, you can't test every software release with 3 trillion miles because you'd never, we'd still be testing that first one. So, so how do we deal with those sorts of things? How do we deal with ML data orchestration? How do we deal with all, all those sorts of things about the decomposing the problem and deciding when we can take on a new ODD? Those are the things that really make the, make for the, the system. It's not so much whether you've got beans or not beans or laser or not laser. So. Using the the chili bean uh, analogy, assuming that lidar is the beans in this case, um, is there what's the argument to include the beans? Like, when does sure. it make the most sense to to do that? Is it 
specifically for that L4 Robotaxi application? Or is there another reason to? Because as you know, a lot of automakers, as they've started to push the capabilities of ADAS systems, specifically hands-off, eyes-off systems on highways, they are saying that LiDAR must, the beans must be included. So but what? But what's your what's your view? Like, is there an argument to never use it in ADAS applications, or are there situations in which you should have beans? I think the, I think your choice of beans is how you is a business choice as much as it is a technology choice. And the reason I say that is, okay, I drove here this morning and I got here safely. And I didn't use a laser or a radar once. I just used a vision-based system, right? And maybe a, maybe a giant computer or something like that that uh, you know that I, that I used myself to get here. But so you can do it without either of those. So, but it's a business decision if you're making something that has the higher levels of autonomy. So it really comes if it, if you're just doing L2, you probably don't need lasers uh, at all. But as you push towards the higher levels of autonomy, the it's a business decision whether you want to take and push hard to get the software to do it with just a, maybe a camera only like humans do or a camera and radar, which is really a great combination of, uh, of sensing. Or if you want to say like, I could do that, but that's going to take me an extra 36 months of development. I'd rather get to market sooner and I can get to market sooner on high end vehicles by putting a laser in that. And then, then the price point can be afforded because it's a higher end vehicle and I can get to market right now. So it's a business decision more or at least equally as much as it is a technology decision. That's interesting to me because it's, if I was sitting in a room right now with a few automakers, I wonder if they would protest or, or not because a bit, what does it mean by business decision? Because the argument for including LIDAR in uh, specifically passenger vehicles, like I want to kind of remove the robotaxi conversation mm-hmm. for a moment um, is because it is, it is the safest, best, most capable. So I, I guess you could call that a business decision, but the way it's cast is that it's required. Uh, you know, it, it is essential for the safety. Um, so how do you respond to that? If, if that's the argument from, not my argument, but, you know, an argument that certainly automakers have made like Mercedes and, and others. I think that they would, if you push them, they would say that, their system is the most safest because they included LIDAR. Not that in general, that any system or every system will be better or safer just because, just because it has a LIDAR in it. Again, it's how the system is architected. And, and, right, and how do you... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, LIDAR, anytime you include LIDAR in the mix, then you you have uh, some of that sensor diversity stuff that just intrinsically adds something more. The question is, is for the kind of automation that you're trying to deliver, is that extra that that the, the laser brings to the party, is that make or break? Is that critical to that specific ODD and, and, and capability that you're trying to deliver? Is that... Yeah, exactly. So let's say you want to get to a certain level of performance, right? You want to have a certain level of miles that you can drive and ODDs that you can drive and so forth that you, uh, that you want to, you want to hit and you want to deliver. The question you'd be asking is like, not, can I get there with maybe uh, camera and radar? I think what happens they often they ask is like, how quickly can I get there and prove my, prove to myself that I can. Everybody that's in this space right now will agree that you want 
will agree that you want some sort of sensor diversity. Right? You don't. No one's going to go at this with like a single sensor um, right now. No. Least, <laughs> well, I. I there's one I, exception to that. <laughs> I guess I'll, we could say most, but even I think I think the uh, I think universally now everyone is now back to at least having uh, radars. I think from the, some of the latest things we've seen. So um, so so we, so it might have been a little transgression in a while, but every everybody's back on at least okay. We at least can have radars and cameras. So you need at least two of them, right? And the question gets into: Do you want to have? Those two, and, and by the way, you have to have cameras because you got to see like traffic lights. You got to see some other things too. And, and there's no system that has better spatial resolution than than a, than a camera. So you're going to have to have cameras. It's like, do you want do you want radar and camera, or laser and camera, or all three? And that's that's what the the architect of the system and the business has to decide. It's like, what's the my time to market? How long is it going to take to get for me to get there with just two of the three? Or how long is it going to take me to get there with all three of the three? And what's the best thing for the business? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's a very pragmatic conversation. As you, as you, were, you were saying, it's, it's actually a very pragmatic conversation. And it's fascinating to me that, you know, knowing a little bit of the history of all this, like, you know, you really only have one company, one guy kind of out there being like LIDAR sucks or, you know, or even, or even at this point, you know, radar is not necessary that we can do this all in vision. There's, there's really only one guy, one company out there saying that. And to me, the, the, the irony is deeply ironic because exactly what you were talking about, the ability to take radar hardware and use different kinds of signal processing to dramatically improve the performance of that, of that hardware. I mean, Tesla was the company that led in this, right? They were the ones who were taking Bosch and, and, and Conti radars off the shelf and doing all kinds of in-house signal processing. Um, and, and really, you know, and it's funny that they've become so anti-radar because they, they kind of in a way have the blueprint for, for what you all are, are doing now. And really, to me, it seems like the, the, the problem that they ran into, the mistake they made, whatever it is, is that they just decided not to continue to upgrade that radar hardware, that they just never wanted to pay for more than just that really, really basic uh, adaptive cruise control radar. And, and again, like what they did technically with that was really quite amazing. Um, so, so do you think is that, I mean, is that part of, how does the, the hardware piece fit into this, right? Because, because radar hardware continues to evolve, continues to improve and, and we're seeing, you know, new levels of performance. Are we in a world now where that performance depends on the software from the OEM that that's all this really tightly integrated package? Or do we continue to live in a world where that, Again, bizarrely enough, Tesla pioneered model of taking off-the-shelf hardware and applying algorithms to that. As the hardware continues to improve, will there continue to be advances that you'll be able to make on on top of those? And what do those what do those improvements look like? So, uh, yeah, uh, lots to unpack there. I think the when you look at the Tesla's evolution throughout this, um, you can look back at like Waymo's evolution throughout this also as they went from taking off-the-shelf radars, adding their own software to them, etc. What happens is when you when you use something that's at least some of the early generations that, that are just completely off the shelf is the ideally you want to get access to the data right after they analog to digital converters. That gives you the most flexibility. That's uh, whenever you buy uh, whenever you you get access to something that's later there's limits on what you can do. And that may have been what Tesla was experiencing. It's like they hit the limit on what they could do with it and then found that they were, that it wasn't able to provide, I don't know this for sure, but it wasn't able to provide a value and they took it off because it wasn't able to provide value because they had, you know, advanced that point in, um, 
to a certain level in the vision systems, and it was it was adequate. I think as you if you had a different type of radar, a different hardware, as well as a different architecture to allow you access to earlier in the data, so you can put all the software defined uh, goodies in there, then that opens up a lot of doors for them. So so what are we seeing on the hardware side? The, I think the second half of your question, you know, we're seeing things that we're continually making. Uh, uh, some geeky radar things about making cleaner signals and uh, and and faster ADCs, and, uh, analog to digital converters, so you can get get more data out and, and so forth. So some some things that are kind of in the a little bit on the esoteric side with that, but you're also seeing a lot more of integrating compute capabilities and really advanced compute capabilities up with the chips also to, to provide some of the benefits of things on the edge and providing the, enough fabric there for us to put you know really good algorithms in there as opposed to like just minimal things where uh in the past you're pretty limited in terms of what you could do on some of the um the on-chip processing so so this has also been a long-standing thing in the relationship between suppliers and oems right do they want the sort of barest sensor possible so they can do all their own work on it or do they want that sort of edge processing to happen at at your sort of supplier level more and more. How is that shaken out? That that's I haven't really followed that discussion for a while. I'm sure it's I'm sure there's different answers for different use cases, but I'm curious what what you've seen there. So there's 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 where it is and how much and then, then there's also like how much flexibility you have and what you can do. I think and that's the if you're designing the the chip, that's always the 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 sticking point. It's like you want to have give the consumer a lot of flexibility, but you can't give them everything because it can then takes just too much um, it takes too many resources to have too much flexibility in there. So that's, there's always a little bit of a push and pull in there. I think we're starting to see more and more where there's, you know, with, with DSP accelerators and things like that, that are, that are going in these, that there's, there's quite a bit that you can do on edge, on the edge. Uh, and if you don't fit into that architecture, then you can just push things down to like a central capability and just do everything you want there. So I think we're starting to see the, you know, just see the, uh, the space evolve where, you know, there's something for everybody a little bit more there. If you want to just write, write some, some relatively simplistic things, you can put it on edge. And then it's a self-contained product. It's, it's, it's lightweight on the thermal. And away you go, you want something more, then you can push the data centrally, which gets into the whole self, uh, software-defined vehicle concept anyway, where all the data come in centrally and everybody sees everything else that everybody has from the sensing stack. And it's all, and, you know, basically what the L4 players are doing. Totally. And, and, and what... Um, uh, Again, removing the L4 for a moment, but uh, is this the trend that you see continuing? So are we going to continue to see basically what you just laid out in terms of where what automakers want and where they're going? Or is do you see something else coming that would maybe even change their approach? Uh, good question. I think, I think what we're seeing in like the software-defined vehicle is... Similar to L4, that's not occurring quite as fast as we thought it was going to be. I think if we all, you know, went back in the Wayback Machine, like two or three years, like, oh, by now everything is OEM cars or just like L4 cars, all the data coming centrally, you know, big GPUs and so forth. And we're seeing trends towards that, but it's not seeing it as rapidly as I think we initially thought. There are, um, in the competitions, I see more things focused on, uh, we're going to take a generation and delay that, and, we're, and we want this capability in an edge versus a central or, or, or satellite architecture. So I think that I don't think there's anything, you know, 
dramatically changing along the, you know, on the roadmap. It's just like the, the rate at which we're getting there is not quite as, as rapid as people thought. It's, you can and say that for I'm, almost any automotive technology. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Like, yeah, it's answer, amazing. I, I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was reading a, uh, a story I wrote in, in 2016, and it was just like made me laugh out loud because <laughs> of uh, a, a certain company making promises. Anyway, uh, one other trend I'm wondering about as it relates to software is that we've seen – a little bit of um, like repeated pivots every few years where automakers have gone to, we want to build, you know, a great supply chain and we are going to outsource software to, we must be vertically integrated and we must bring everything. And where is it now as it relates to specifically like sensors? Um, are they, are they still, is there like a shift towards vertical integration still and handling that? Because you see all these software efforts um, popping up, like Volkswagen comes to mind, that haven't gone quite so well. And I'm, I've been wondering if we're going to start seeing companies come to that realization and start bringing startups back in or other companies that can handle more of the software. Like, where do you, where do you see it shifting? Yeah, I think that if you look back, you know, I don't know, several years in the past, everything was through the tier ones. Right, that the, the, the basically OEMs only dealt with the tier ones, and really were were hands off in most of the decision making that the tier ones would make. Since then, because they know that they're they have their own roadmap that they're trying to get to, and the capabilities that they're trying to get to, they're being a lot more prescriptive and like you know, you, okay, Mister Tier One, I'm going to buy from you, but we would like you to use this chip, or would you like you to use these you know these guys in Southern California for the algorithms, and then. Then it's in, you know it's just the the deal then in terms of how the tier one and those and the, and the tier two suppliers would then work together to deliver what the OEM needs. So I think that the I and I don't see that trend changing. Uh, I haven't seen it tip back the other way where like nope, hands off, just give it to the tier ones because I think they want that control over their roadmap and they want that control over their over their capabilities. Um, I, so I wanted to ask uh, about commercial vehicles since since you you mentioned it as as a as a use case and um you know we've definitely had a, a you know guests on from a number of different you know uh, use cases in driving automation I'm always fascinated in in sort of how uh, uh, some of these different uh, use cases vary so um you mentioned earlier you know that that radar you know works well with like dust which is for for commercial vehicles sort of something that that you might be dealing with more than other things what are some other things about that that commercial vehicle use case that maybe, you know, lend it to, towards radar or just make it like a, you know, a, a good opportunity for, for driving automation tech generally. So the, the ruggedization of the sensors is important. You need to be, the, these things are in really, <laughs> really rough places a lot of times, you know, in whether it's in mining or in, you know, construction or, or agriculture or whatever. So, so the FM durability of the sensor, that's a, that's a big thing. We're, we're doing something with some, uh, some folks in mining to look at like how do we how do we take and enclose our system the right amount of um, uh, the glass enclosures for for, uh, for spark protection things like that so the so there's the there's the ruggedization of that there's also just the although the budgets may be bigger for them than than for automotive you know they still have they will still want things to be affordable so the, you know, if you're protecting a, a million or two million dollar machine you can you're not going to be worried per, you know typically about 
well, I got this one resistor for, you know, three quarters of a penny cheaper. So I'm going to go with these guys. So the, so there's a little bit more of a flexibility they have to spend, but they're still going to be frugal as, as well. So in Raider just typically lends itself itself well with that, especially a Raider camera combination. And and so, the, but the where's the demand, right? Are, um, so in in commercial vehicles, are we talking on road commercial vehicles? Is there more? Is it more off road commercial? I mean, you mentioned mining, so it sounds like more more off road. And then it's both. It's both. Okay, and and then and then driver assistance as well as full automation, or or mostly on the assistance side. So I think what we're seeing is like this this spectrum of where the uh, where the market's taking us initially. We're going to see the a lot of penetration in ways that we can aid the operator. You know, basically collision avoidance type things. And you know, one of the things that we really focused on at Spartan was was making sure that the HMI, the the display for them, was like super intuitive, almost like you know iPhone level of of an of intuitive, so that they could so that they didn't have to spend any mental cycles trying to decipher anything, but it's really like, just look at it instantly, got it where it is, where all the different things are. Uh, so they can, so sometimes there's two things that you might not want to want to hit. So you can't just avoid one because you can still strike the other. So, so it's initially going to be on the collision avoidance side. And then as time goes on, you'll see that, that, that transition more and more into, into autonomy. There are some that are that are pushing on autonomy. You know, I think uh, Caterpillar is doing a lot there. Uh, John Deere is doing a lot there. Um, and it's isolated and not as quite as pervasive as they'd like it to be, but they have, you know, they have schedules that they're on as well. So, so you know, by prediction of the futures, you see much more autonomy coming in, in those. Um, and definitely in the near term, a lot of, um, a lot of ways to really help out the operators because these things have huge blind spots. And I think you've had guests on the show before uh, and it's, it's difficult to get operators. And sometimes the operators that you, that you get, I was, um, I was talking to one, um, uh, to someone in this space and they were talking about like, yeah, the guys that are operating these big giant vehicles and stuff, they can't get driver's licenses. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you, interesting, interesting uh, point there. So you, you said the word of the day was, which I just made up, but um, was predictions. You started getting in prediction, and so I thought it was it would be a great way to end the show. Since you did work in all four, and now you're sort of really in the center of a, a few different areas from L two to L four. Um, we love predictions on this show. So based on everything we talked about today. What's your big prediction for, let's say, I won't do five years because it's way too hard. Let's say 18 months to two years. What do you expect we will see when it comes to L4? And then what do you expect we will see when it comes to sort of ADAS? Um, and it's fine to make big ri- big big risks. The, the the stakes are not high here on the on the podcast. We 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 do give failed predictions all the time here. So, yeah. <laughs> oh no no. So um, let it all hang out. The I think that I was going to try to work in Chat GPT somewhere into this, but I think I'll I'll, I'll send that for another day. <laughs> um, you know, autonomy moves at the pace of the system architect, right? Whether that's the the L four maker. Uh, or the OEM, you know, the, they they have to have that whole everything from sensing to behavior prediction, all that they need to own all that. And I think from and I think for passenger uh, or for, for uh, passenger vehicles that you would buy, 
you know, I think that's, that's going to be a slow road still. It's, uh, and I think for the L4 market, like the, the robo-taxi market and so forth, I think that, you know, I still believe in that. I think there's a lot of benefit there, but that's going to be continued slowness. And what I don't know is, is what's the ultimate market penetration that you will get from robo-taxis. If you think back, so I joined Waymo back in the 2017, kind of like the heyday of, of awesomeness there. And, um, it's actually really cool. It was a great, great pivot for me from defense back into the, in, into the commercial space that I talked about in my book. And I, and it, the vision then was like, most people won't even need to buy a car. You just take these robo tags and hail it everywhere. And, you know, so I live in Dallas, Texas now and it's, you know, we're not, we're not really testing there. And I live in kind of like the North part of Dallas. And I don't know what is my area going to be served. So my, what I'm worried is, the whole L4 industry, especially the robo-taxi part of that, is like the market penetration to really make the big dents in terms of the, the lives saved, the, you know, taking a bite of those 43,000 lives that are lost every year. That's just going to be a lot slower than we thought because they, they're they just not able to, to penetrate very many markets. San Francisco makes a ton of sense. You know, it's like, you know, you know, half a million miles a day driven like there in, in ride hailing every every business day. Dallas, Dallas is really big and spread out and not that much ride hailing. So how much how much penetration are we going to get with that? So I guess I'm, my, my prediction is like we should temper our expectations for the autonomy industry, uh, both on, on personal owned as well as the L4. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't support it, but just temper expectations. Oh. Well, I think that's that's what's so fascinating about talking to folks like you who are who are looking at sort of some of the less focused on use cases for for driving automation and driver assistance, right? Is that it gives you a sense of sort of, you know, we we've all been so sort of dazzled by these like big what if, you know, TAM pre- you know, predictions and timelines and all this kind of stuff. But in reality, you know, what we're seeing is is like all kinds of automation, right? Like any kind of robot, you start with sort of some of the, the simpler, you know, tasks and simpler domains and you and you sort of go from there. And it's it's just fascinating seeing companies like yours, you know, again, you you look at the kinds of stuff that you're working on and it helps you understand like, oh, these are the kinds of tasks that that are going to see this kind of automation first and 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 then you know we'll build on that from there, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's why we we decided that you know, for us, for our business to be successful, we needed to go both the commercial vehicles and then be able to take our software and, and touch every level of autonomy. Just because we don't know the rate at which the the both the market and the and the overall technology are going to be adopted. Absolutely. Well, in two years, we'll have to touch base and see how it all um, had shaken out, and if there are robo taxis in the in your North Dallas neighborhood. Um, I, I would say that probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but you I would never love to know. be wrong. I'd love to be wrong on this, by the way. So it's, uh, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you again for joining this show. And thank you to our listeners for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. <laughs>